Welcome to this week's episode of Church Unscripted. We're so glad that you're here, that you joined us. Uh, We're excited to dive in today. Um, Before we do, make sure that you subscribe to the channel, like this video, um, share it with a friend uh, so we can get the word out. Um, I'm here with Pastor Eric and Courtney. Um, I thought we would just start by um, kind of giving us an overview of what we talked about this Sunday um, in Nehemiah. Happy to. Um, so we, we wrapped the series up this week and we kind of combined the last four chapters, chapters 10, 11, 12, 13. However, we didn't spend any time in 11 and 12. It was just 10 and 13. But really it was um, the conclusion to the story of how Nehemiah planned to maintain mm. Uh, the the building of the vision. So by chapter six, the wall is completed. Chapter seven, the people have come home to refill the city. In chapter eight, the word of God is read. And in chapter nine, they have a reestablished relationship with God. And like I said in the sermon, um, that's a really good time to end the story because that's a great story of redemption. But then there's another four chapters. And the reason I decided decided that there's another four chapters is because Nehemiah discovered that once you celebrate a victory, there's still the opportunity in the future for that victory to be ruined. And so uh, even though you can celebrate success, whether it's a restored marriage or uh, the breaking free of an addiction, there's still the future possibility of your enemy coming in to ruin all of that. So what I said is that the most difficult part is not the building of the vision, it's the protecting of the vision once it's built. And so he gives us in chapter 10, I think three different promises that the people made as a way to sustain that. And so they promised three different things, but in chapter 13, the unfortunate thing and why the four chapters are there is because chapter 13 illustrates how those promises were compromised mm. and, and what Nehemiah had to do to correct those compromises. So it's a really good lesson for all of us because as much as we want to celebrate God's work in our life, we have to recognize we have an enemy that's aggressively trying to compromise that work. Mm. And so we have to put in practices, yeah. uh, put into practice things that will protect what God wants to do in our life. Yeah, that's good. I'm, I'm curious if uh, you guys have experienced that in your life with maybe something that um, you, you've received victory over or blessing in and how that's been uh, maybe attacked and how you've kind of seen that play out in your own life. Yeah, that's, that, that we could talk for a while about this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, uh, the only thing that comes to mind is possibly, um, relationship with kids. Um, cause I can think of various different little things, right. but one in particular would be, you know, you feel like you have a win with a kid and you're like, I'm, I'm, I'm understanding where their heart is. I kind of know how, where I want to direct that. But then, um, heart work is so tricky because you can just like destroy it all in a harsh word or, um, you know, just losing patience. And I feel like if you're, if you're not carefully in walking in the fruits of the spirit, Mm. like in step with God, it's so easy to just kind of slip back into old patterns of speaking. And so for me, it's more of a, what you're building with your relationship with them, you know, depending on what the situation is and then allowing all of that to just kind of crumble because of old patterns or, you know, just having a rough day. <laughs> so I'm, I'm glad you brought up the, the, the platform of parenting. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife um, says that there's this thing called mom guilt. Does this exist? Yes, for okay, sure. Okay, what is mom guilt? It's terrible. You just uh, think that you are ruining your children 
and you forget that God is sovereign because he's really in control of all of that. And so basically mom guilt is like, it's so wrong because you are elevating yourself to God's status. Like you have all of this control over the future decisions that they make. Like it's not your fault. And um, it's definitely something that I now have 21 years of experience of having, and I've gotten a lot better at combating it, but it's definitely a real thing. So it's this, I have a, I have a vision for what my kids are going to become. Yeah. Um, and so I'm trying to do the things right now to mm-hmm. help build them into that kind of person. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. doing the daily devotions, that's not mm-hmm. just reading the Bible, it's going to like an exegetical study of the Bible with your kids, right? It's praying for 20 minutes with your kids and, and none of us do that. Right. Um, yeah. And if somebody says they do, that might last two days and right. then it, and it defaults to something else. Yeah. And then you see your kids do things that seem to be out of character with mm-hmm. the kind of person you hope they would be. They lie to you yeah. uh, or they cheat a little bit or they steal their friend's toys, something like that. And you're like, well, darn it, this is, this is falling apart. Yep. Um, they're it's compromised. All it, they're all, it's all our fault, right? <laughs> because where the parents were responsible. And so we feel like, I think like Nehemiah, like there's these things showing up in our parenting. Mm-hmm. And not just parenting, but in our marriage of like, okay, why do I keep failing at this? Mm-hmm. Which is why I was so excited to see this, this uh, theme of grace and mercy mm-hmm. throughout the entire book of Nehemiah. And then when you get into the gospels, it's, it's grace is sufficient for you. Yeah. And so even though Nehemiah ends, the last chapter is all about compromise. I think that can prepare us for like a gospel ethic of mm-hmm. grace and mercy. So how do you, um, how do you, and when you feel that mom guilt, how do you experience and feel that, that grace and mercy from, from God? You know, I've gotten better at it. It's hard to discern the correction when you're in that moment um, because it really isn't from God, you know? So I've gotten better at just knowing, I think you just have to know it in order to combat the feelings and the guilt. Um, I know that those harsh feelings that I have toward myself are not of God. And so it's less and less and less and less. It's, it doesn't linger. Um, I still, you know, sometimes I'm like, well, maybe if I had just put him and let him have a real solid year of school, he'd be reading already, right? Like, um, but it's, it's we, I've, I believe that we're just walking the steps that God has ordained for us anyway. And so I've just gotten a lot better at dismissing it. I don't know if like, as far as advice giving, how to tell someone how to do that, except for to just know that these harsh thoughts are not from God. And he does fill in the gaps with his love. Yeah. I mean, just love those kids. Wow. Like love covers a multitude of sins. I think on Sunday you mentioned uh, that the one defense uh, to protect loss is to be aware of the presence of God, Mm -hmm. but then on the contrary, also be aware of the presence of the enemy. And we've seen that play out in our home where um, I have a daughter who loves scripture, which is just like awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, She loves to read and she's reading along with some stuff that we're doing with them for school and all these things. but then like her attitude has been like worse, right? Hmm. And so we're, we're trying to figure out like, okay, so we've, we're celebrating this win that our, that our child loves scripture and she loves spending time with God. But then we're also like trying to figure out what's happening on the other side of this victory. And we've, we've recognized that it's, it, it, it 
kind of feels like a spiritual battle. Like there's an, there's an enemy that doesn't want her to fully embrace the scripture that she's reading. Mm-hmm. And so for us to be able to speak into that and say like, listen, like it's, you're on one hand, you're reading scripture, you're praying, but then on the other hand, you're screaming and yelling and slamming doors and, and these things that are contrary to that. So that actually, never happens in your home, does it? <laughs> um, of course not. <laughs> not in my home. Right. Either. Yeah. Way to, way to mom guilt me. Right. Um, <laughs> wait, no. Okay. Um, but, but it's, it's like, we've had to already help her see like, Hey, there's an awareness of God's presence in your life, but then there's also, you need to be aware of how the enemy uses that as an attack against you. And, and even practically like walking through this, like what you're saying. So I think one of the things that grace does for you is it gives you perspective. Yeah. Um, and so when you find yourself in mom guilt, but if you extend that to not just parenting, but also to all of the struggles that we have, whether it's against a sin or an attitude or a behavior, whatever it is, um, when the, when the, uh, compromise shows up. It's easy to feel that guilt and shame and cloud your judgment on God's perspective. Mm-hmm. But once you achieve that forgiveness, that grace, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden you can see it for what it is. It was a compromise, sure it was, but that was brought on by an enemy that wants to destroy you. And so now you don't have to play fool to him. Mm-hmm. And so you can step out of that guilt, out mm-hmm. of that shame and listen to God's way of correcting it. And so if I've got a behavior I need to adjust, mm-hmm. then I can now have the ears to hear and the eyes to see the new direction the Holy Spirit is leading me on. And I think that's really important because a lot of us can't get past the guilt. Yeah. Uh, we, we have so much shame on ourselves. We, we think that that's identifying us. Our value is based upon our guilt and our shame. Mm-hmm. And again, it's not just parenting. It's in all mm-hmm. kinds of things. I just had a conversation recently with somebody um, who walked through a divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as I could tell, um, you know, um, there was little on their part that led to the divorce, but yet she is taking on herself all of the, the, the pain and brokenness and guilt of it. And I thought that that's not, that's not God's perspective. Mm-hmm. And so he wants to lead you into a place of freedom, mm-hmm. a place of, of encouragement, a place where your identity is built on him, not your past. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think that's what a lot of people are dealing with right now. So how do we, how do we as leaders help our people, uh, accept grace when the guilt and shame is so heavy. Yeah, that's good. Uh, I'd say there's seasons where I'm, I'm still trying to figure that out. I don't think I have an answer. Um, one of the things that you, you mentioned on Sunday, and it was in the context of relationship, but I kind of took it as a broader um, perspective, but you said when, when you have more than one God hanging out in your home, you get confused and your faith gets corrupted. And I took that even to like, where do we put our attention? And so if I, if my attention is on guilt and shame, then my faith gets corrupted. But if my, if my attention is on Jesus, then my faith is stronger. And so I think it's a really basic response to the question, but it's, it's, where is your attention? Mm -hmm. And, and I think that's how I mean, everything that you talked about is very proactive, right? And so that's where your attention is. But if you, if you constantly shift to what was or what could happen, then your, your faith gets all kind of, I don't know, shaken and out of sorts. So I remember running track in high school and I didn't run well, but I do remember running. Um, <laughs> fortunately, I had my dad as my track coach. Mm-hmm. And so whenever I'd run a race around the track, um, you really have no idea how you're doing. 
Um, you're not sure if you need to pick up the speed or if you're running too fast. You're not really sure how close the other team is behind you. Um, so really, you have very, very poor perspective on the race as a whole. That's why the coach likes to hang out right next to the track and sometimes run along with you mm -hmm. for a while. Because when they do that, if you look at them, and you listen to them, then they can say, hey, you're ahead of pace. You're going to run out of steam, slow down a bit. Or mm -hmm. they're right on your tail, pick it up. Mm -hmm. um, um, you know, anything like that. So mm -hmm. when I see that, my mind goes to scripture when it says, keep your eyes on Jesus, the mm -hmm. author and perfecter of your faith. So mm -hmm. I like how you said that when Jesus is the center of your home, you now have a better opportunity to see what he's telling you mm -hmm. so that your faith doesn't get corrupted yeah. by a shame that was never supposed to be on right. you. Um, so I think that was really encouraging to me. One of the things that I said in one of the take-homes was, you know, train yourself to be godly. Yeah. How do you train yourself to be godly? Oh, <laughs> this question always comes back to the same answer. <laughs> just, just read surprise, the Bible. Surprise, read there the Bible. <laughs> um, but it's not, it's more than that. It's about um, fitting it in. Like if, let's just use running as an example, because I've been a runner. Um, you, you not only get out there and do it, but you schedule it. So you know when you're going to do it, you work it into your day. And before working it into your day, you have to, have the nutrition in place. You have to know, well, what am I going to eat before? What am I going to eat after? Do I need something for during? Because if you've ever run a distance, like a half marathon or a marathon, you know that you have to have like pockets of food on you as well as hydration and electrolytes. So you, there's a lot of pre-planning that goes into just the training. When you think of the training, that's the feet hitting the pavement, but it's really all that that leads up to it. You go to sleep earlier. I mean, it's just a whole day's worth of your rhythms really being in line with this time that you want to focus on in the word or in prayer or in worship and really all of those things together as you're communing with God. So am I taking the time to do that in my day? Am I thinking about it maybe on Sunday night? Like when is that going to happen for the rest of the week and checking in with myself? Mm. Um, mm -hmm. I, I forgot a, the question. I have a follow-up yeah, question. Yourself to be God? Right, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, yeah. So you said rhythms. Yeah. How do we fight for rhythms in our home or in our life in a culture, in a context that's like very busy moment to moment? Like how have you... You build margin. You have to actually schedule in downtime mm. um, or s stop scheduling too much, mm. I guess. Um, we're We're pretty... I would like to say that my family is still pretty busy because we go to work, we work all day or the kids go to school and there's still that, you know, come home and everybody's tired now at the end of the day and we still need to make food to eat and get back in bed. It's like this weird cycle. But since coming here, we don't have like a swim team anymore or a soccer team. And so we haven't worked in those extra things. Mm. And I think we talked about it a little bit last week with John, like just don't schedule it. They will survive if they don't do that one thing or maybe, like that sounds harsh, right? Pick one. Mm -hmm. And and the bet like for families who have a lot of kids, do the sport that they all can participate in at the same time, such as swim team. It sounds like a plug. <laughs> but when you have a lot of kids, that's what you figure out. You have to think of the whole family as a whole versus, you know, every single one of them having their own little niche that sends you here and there throughout the whole week. Mm. Um, so you just have to prayerfully chaotic, consider yeah. what is important mm -hmm. and the the, like I said, 
to start it, just building in, you have to have a little bit, bit of space to just have nothing scheduled so that you can, you know, be led by the spirit or rest when needed or just have that time with the kids. Because, mm. And I think, I think the reason it's important for us as parents and adults to consider that question, how do you train yourself for godliness? Mm -hmm. uh, a big reason is because your kids are watching. Yeah, And so if they see you putting them into event after event after event mm -hmm. and it's clouding family time and, and it's overwhelming, then mm -hmm. they're going to be trained to say, okay, the good thing to do is just be overwhelmed all the time. Yeah, um, And that applies to a lot of different things. Um, we're, we're at a stage right now with our kids where we're trying to use movies as a way to train them for godliness. One of the things that makes me afraid is because my kids are growing up in a Christian home, going to a Christian school, most of their friends are Christian. What happens when they graduate high school, go to a secular university or graduate college and go into a secular job in an environment that's not all Christian? How are they gonna be prepared to handle those yeah. kind of things? What if they go on a spring break trip with their friends and they're on a beach and some girls are not dressed always you know, the best? Mm -hmm. How are they gonna handle that? Mm -hmm. So. We're trying to figure out ways to train our kids in godliness. So we're thinking through some movies to watch with them. Mm. Now we're not, of course, putting in front of them illicit, inappropriate kind of things. However, <laughs> uh, we're, we're going, and some people aren't gonna like this. We're, we're watching through some series of movies like Lord of the Rings and like Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. And people are like, you're watching Harry Potter? There's witchcraft in there. There's sorcery in there. And I know there is. And so people are like, why would you expose your kids to that stuff? And I'm thinking, well, because those are critical moments where I can pause the movie and say, do we believe in witchcraft? Do we believe in sorcery? No, we don't. Who actually has the power? We believe Jesus has the power. And when you're confronted with fear in scary situations like they see in the movie, mm -hmm. uh, who can we turn to to find hope and find comfort? Okay, with Jesus. Yeah. Um, and so... We're trying to walk that line of how do we train our kids so that they can be Christian in a world that's very increasingly opposed to him yeah. right now while they're in the safety of our home. Yeah. And, that's, and that's why when our kids get older and they come to us and say, I really blew it with this. I watched something online I shouldn't have watched. I did this with some friends I shouldn't have done. Then we're, we're trying to prepare ourselves to not say, how dare you do something like that? We want our home to be a safe place where we can turn their attention towards the grace of God as we show that same kind of grace while at the same time training them to be, to protect themselves from those things. So I don't know. I mean, that's one small way I think we're mm. trying to train our kids, but mm -hmm. um, yeah. it's got to start with you, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. good. Um, so one of your points on Sunday was uh, protect your future by making Jesus-centered promises. And you, you talked about the two big topics that you talked about, it seemed like were money and Sabbath. Okay, so why, why, why do you think that those two things were kind of the forefront of that section of your sermon? Like why uh, Jesus-centered promises, why then rest and money? Yeah. Well, the, the, the third one, and, and that was the marriages part, right? Right, right yeah. correct. Yeah. And it's interesting you ask that because I spotted those three in chapter 10. And when I connected them to the 10 commandments, I went back to chapter 10. I said, okay, am I missing the other seven right. you know, commandments in here? Did they break all of them? Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure exactly why chapter 10 focuses on those three, Sabbath, marriage, and, or well, the 10 commandments, we know they're gods, right? right. Mm -hmm. And then money, but um, I think if you go back into their history, those are the primary ways that mm. they were led astray. Mm. They were giving themselves to marriage into foreign women, but yeah. brought other gods and therefore mm. broke the identity of a God-centered culture. Um, they broke the Sabbath as a way to make more money and grow economically. Mm. Um, and, and they stopped giving. And so the, the mm. temple service quit. Mm. 
And those are the big three that really led them in captivity in the first place. Mm -hmm. So I think chapter 10 is not about, here's how you fix everything wrong spiritually. Mm -hmm. Here's the things that tripped you up in the first place. Let's work on those things. Mm -hmm. And then later on, let's talk about some of the other 10 commandments and see if we can build those into the system of the culture. Yeah. So I'm curious if you guys have made any like Jesus-centered promises with uh, the Sabbath money or marriage or like kind of what are like, how do we Sabbath or what does that look like? Because I think that's a foreign, that, that's the biggest one for me is like Sabbath. I feel like in our culture, uh, like even my wife and I, we, we wrestle with that. Like, what does that look like? Do you guys have any insight into that? I do. I want to give you a chance though. All right. Because I've got thoughts, but I want to hear yours. Well, first I just want to say it is so hard because, you know, you work all week, then you have the weekend. And on Sundays we come here and we do church together. Um, but at some point the lawn needs to be mowed. And I think we discussed that we were both like out in our yards all day on yeah, Saturday. Yeah. Um, laundry still has to get done. And, mm. and so when you think about like, well, you're, you're, you're resting, mm. you're thinking on spiritual things, um, a great day, it just seems like to envelop all of that would be Sunday, right? You go to church and then you yep. do all of this spiritual stuff, but it doesn't feel very realistic. And again, like we are also preparing for Monday through Sunday mm-hmm. again and having to do the laundry. Um, so I don't have a very good answer. I feel like um, I am careful about the promises that I do make though. Like if I don't feel like it's realistic, then I'm not gonna promise that I'll do that, but it could still be something that I'm aiming toward. So yeah. I think the the difficulty comes when you're you're not sure the value of the Sabbath compared to the value of getting more done. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Because if I tell you what, if if my wife saw uh, like the living room cluttered, piles of laundry everywhere, dishes uncleaned in the sink. And I say, hey, for the next 24 hours, we're just going to rest. That would be like a death sentence for her. Yeah. Because she can't rest. And a lot of people can't until the list of tasks is done. But the problem is that list of tasks. It never goes away, does it? Yeah. So that's why it's such an important thing because what the Sabbath does is teaches you Mm -hmm. to be dependent on God as opposed to yourself. Yeah. Because if you don't get all that done, then it feels like our value and our worth is gone. I'm not taking care of my house. Yeah. I'm not taking care of business. Mm. And so now my worth and my value decreases, but mm. the Sabbath teaches me I am forced to depend mm. on God for my value and worth. Mm-hmm. But the other thing I've discovered, I've, I've looked into this a little bit, not very much, but a little bit. The Jews in biblical times, they just had, they had just enough stuff to do as we did. Mm-hmm. And yet the entire culture maintained it. Well, supposed to. So how did they get away with the laundry undone, all that stuff and still have a Sabbath? And part of what I learned is that they prepared for the Sabbath by taking care of some of those things before or saying, I'm not gonna think about them until after. Mm -hmm. It's almost like the Sabbath was the focal point of the entire week. It's not an add-on, it's not an extra, it's not a luxury. It is the main purpose of the week. And so Heather and I just finished reading a book which I encourage everybody to read. In fact, our small group is gonna go through it. Uh, It's called Habits of the Household. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of Sabbath-based activities in there. Um, What they do, and I really like this idea, they take a candle that's a 24-hour candle, they light it on Friday after dinner or before dinner, something like that. And then it goes out sometimes Saturday evening right before dusk. Cool. And as soon as you see that candle lit, it's just a visual reminder we're in Sabbath right yeah. now. Mm. And you do the things that are life-giving. Yeah. And so if, if 
hanging out in the garage and doing some woodworking is life-giving to me. Sure, it's work, but man, it's life-giving. Mm -hmm. If yeah. going golfing is life-giving, right. do some golfing. Right. Um, even if mowing the yard is, is life-giving. Right. But then it's also including Sunday where, where you let Jesus yeah. bring life into your soul too. So. Yeah, I think for, for Katie and I, we were just talking about this because we're trying to develop those rhythms for our family. And like, I love yard work. Like I spent over 12 hours in my yard on Saturday and I was tired. Like it's not a physical rest by any stretch of the means, but I feel like I connect more with God in those moments than I do. Like, cause I think a lot of times we think Sabbath and we're like, sit on the couch, watch TV. But like, that's not, that's, it can be, but it's not really what it means. Like we should be in, in our rest, pursuing Jesus, whatever that is. Um, and I think one of the key things that we have mistaken maybe is that we tend to work for rest instead of working from rest. Like we have our, we have our weeks backwards. So we're like, we've got to get through the week so that we can rest. But like, it's interesting that in, in Genesis, the first thing that man does is rest. Like God creates man and then God rested and then they get to work. And mm -hmm. so like that, I think we've like screwed up that pattern there and that can lead us into uh, confusion of our mind and maybe making some compromises because we're just, we're tired. We're mm -hmm. living, we're just like, oh, if only I can get that two hours on Saturday, then mm -hmm. I'll be good. I don't know, just something that, that I think we could all. All right, so, so do this. Better. Describe for me what the perfect Sabbath day would look like for you. 24 hours, let's say Friday evening to Saturday evening. What's the perfect Sabbath day? In my Sabbath? season of life? Yeah. Or like I mean, me by myself. I mean, you, you can't live outside your season. So you got kids in the home. You've yeah. got a young kid. Yeah. You've got a wife who's got yeah. kids hanging on her all the time. Yeah. Um, for, for us, I'd say a perfect Sabbath would be... Um, probably just a family game night, movie night, something like that, just to be together on Friday night. Um, and then Saturday morning, just kind of taking it slow in the morning, make breakfast together, um, enjoy just being together. We have busy weeks and it, we're all together. It's fun. Um, and then right now in our season of life, it's just be outside. Like whatever it is, just be outside if it's nice. Yeah. Um, like our kids, like they just, they love to be outside. And so it's just being outside, having conversations. We try to be really intentional about like at mealtimes, having conversations about um, maybe what, what they're feeling, how, like what, what God is kind of talking to them about in their, in their hearts and um, just going from there and then dinner again and we're done. We usually do pizza night, Saturday night, so we don't have to cook, but yeah, I'd say just like really basic stuff. I mean, maybe even a zoo trip. Why not? <laughs> but fair enough. But I mean, just yeah. just things to to be together, to be restful, and also just recognize that like that rest is a gift from God, and and enjoying it together. Do you have a picture of a perfect Sabbath? Um, not really. I think I struggle a little bit with it. Um, with the concept of it, or coming up with an idea for it? Well. With the concept of it being a whole day, I guess, is where I have a little bit of a hiccup. Um, I do like... Uh, okay, so I love to take my Bible, my notebook, 
my annual calendar and the whole stack of books that I'm reading and just kind of stack them up around myself and sit in a, sorry, sit in a rocking chair or a recliner or whatever and just sort of like study and read. And that, that's not very realistic because there are people like needing you and that sort of thing. So it depends because I may, I do make time for that, but then, um, as a whole, if we're talking about as a whole family, I mean, there have been times when we have played like games together and we're like, this is just going to be family time. And I don't know that we really even talk about God. In fact, we probably play a zombie game. Like (laughs) I, it's just so hard to tell, like that is life feeling, filling for us because we are with one another and, um, and that's seldom. I would say. So probably more of whole family gathering. And I do have a family of eight. And so that's probably why I do that kind of like hunker down in my little chair with my books and, Uh, you know, or like if I really need to escape or, um, recharge because I am an introvert, it's my bed. So that's my charging (laughs) dock. And so like, if I do retire up there for a little bit, then it like, especially my husband, like he knows, well, she just needs to like recharge. (laughs) She'll be back. She'll be back. And so, um, it's that trying to keep a focus on there are eight of us here. And so that, I think that's why it's just hard for me to like wrap my brain around a whole day of, I mean, for me, I think I could go to Disneyland for a day and that would be Sabbath. (laughs) (laughs) That would stress me out. I couldn't do that. I know. Yeah. Yeah, Not my cup of tea. No, I would just feel Hmm. like, I'm home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. There you go. What about you? Um, good question. So I kind of see Sabbath, and I think there's some biblical precedent for this. Uh, it actually three different lights. I think there's a, a small, medium, and large mm-hmm. version of Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think the small version is something you can do daily. And, um, and one of my favorite parts of the day is when I wake up mm. and I get my coffee, and then I sit on the couch with my Bible and my book, um, and I... Uh, I love to do that. And one of my favorite parts is when Heather and the kids wake up, the first thing they see is their husband and dad reading and spending time with Jesus. But that's extremely life-giving. I don't think I can um, feel like I have a successful day and a, a fulfilling day until I do that. And then after that, what I like to do is go to the gym. So my, my small Sabbath includes how do I nourish my soul and how do I nourish my body mm-hmm. um, and get healthy in those ways. I think the medium uh, Sabbath is what you do on a weekly basis, which most of us don't do well at all, if, <laughs> if any. Right. Um, and I think what I, I like your idea. So I might just take your ideas and put them into mine, right? <laughs> um, but it includes hanging out with family, um, Fortunately for, for our schedule right now in this season, Friday is, is my day off. It's also Heather's day off, especially during the school year. Most of Friday can be a, my Sabbath. Mm. And so once we get the kids to school, then Heather and I get to go to the gym. We can go get lunch together. We can run errands together. Um, later on when the kids get home, we can play a game, go on a walk, do a bike mm. ride, jump on the trampoline. But then I love to include in Sabbath um, time with friends. I mean, we're gonna step into a series uh, in, in September called The Table. And it's all about how Jesus spent so much time around a table with other people. Mm-hmm. And so I think, I think Sabbath needs to include relational building mm-hmm. with people you love to be with. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that would be a blast, including pickleball. We gotta have pickleball part of Sabbath, okay? <laughs> but then there's the macro Sabbath, the big mm-hmm. one. And, and this is when um, I call these my study breaks. I get one or two of these a year where I go away for a week. And, and I know about 12 hours a day I'm reading and researching, but man, that's so life-giving mm-hmm. because I love to see 
uh, plans come together and vision become reality. Um, and I think there could be a version of that for everybody. Mm -hmm. It's where you get away for a couple of days by yourself, no family with you. Um, and you just kind of spend time in quiet and in solitude and let God speak to you. And, mm -hmm. and, um, I think at least that's life giving for me. Mm -hmm. So do you think that, uh, Sabbath is a way to combat the compromise that we kind of talked about on Sunday? Absolutely. Cause I think Sabbath is a way of recalibrating. Mm. Um, and so in, in Sabbath, you step away from the influence of the culture and step into the influence mm. of scripture. That's um, mm. And you're reminded, okay, this is, this is why God called me to my job. Right. It's not just to make a paycheck, it's to have an impact. Mm. And so during Sabbath, he can remind you, okay, you're there so that you can reach that person that, yeah. that, that needs me. Yeah. Um, so I think it's a, a calibration event yeah. on a weekly, regular basis. That's good. So one of your take homes, um, you said, recognize your trigger to comp for compromise and declare a promise over it because promise creates patterns. And I was curious if you could describe a little bit of what it looks like to declare a promise over something. Because I think some of us hear that and they're like, wait, so like, do I need to say that? Or do mm -hmm. I need to like, just think it? Do I need to write it Good. down? Yeah. Like, what does it practically look like to declare a promise mm -hmm. over something? The reason I say a promise is because a promise actually has staying power. Anything like, you know, I, I hope to do this. I mean, anything that's vague is not gonna motivate you to do anything. But if you say a promise, now all of a sudden there's power behind your words and can actually lead to physical impact. So for example, maybe a small one is, you know, I want to be more present with the family um, in the evenings. I don't want to be so tied to my smartphone because when I do, I can spend way too much time on YouTube or something like that. Mm -hmm. So a promise that I need to make is once eight o'clock hits, uh, I'm not just gonna turn off notifications. I'm gonna put my phone on the charger and I'm not gonna hold it for the rest of the night. Now all of a sudden I'm way more present. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one very small way you can make a promise. I promise not to touch my phone after eight o'clock. So in declaring that you're, you're communicating to your family verbally, mm -hmm. this is my, this is mm -hmm. my promise. That's yeah. how you declare it. Uh, yeah, I think yeah. it needs to be okay. because a promise that doesn't lead to action is, is a wasted mm -hmm. promise. So how do we how do we do that if our promise is more um, maybe a, a personal conviction? It doesn't really affect other people. How do you how do you propose that we declare a promise over our our own being? Do you know what I'm saying? Describe so, a little more. Um, I'm trying to think of like a of a good example. Like if you're struggling with a certain sin, or yeah, something? or something like that. That just like. I don't know, maybe you're not ready to, to have like that, you know, that interwoven, like, I don't want anybody else to know, but how do you just like, I don't know. How do you, I guess, how do you hold fast to your promise? How do you declare it in a way that you are dedicated to it? All right, let's just say, for example, that one of the things you need to do for yourself is as Courtney says all the time, read your Bible, right? Mm -hmm. um, how, you, how are you actually going to implement that change? Right. And so you make yourself a promise to say, you know what, I'm going to set my alarm for 6 a.m. Yep. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to make my coffee. I'm going to sit in that spot right there and I'm going to have whatever. Mm -hmm. And so you declare a promise that hopefully can motivate the change. And so you set your alarm and the next morning, you know, you're going to wake up at six. Now you got to have the discipline to follow through, right? right. But you have the motivation to get mm -hmm. the process flowing. Yeah. 
And I think that could be the same for uh, a sin or an addiction you might have. Mm. If somebody's struggling with uh, online content that they shouldn't be looking at, especially if it's a device, mm-hmm. is that I promise I'm going to download a, um, a filter mm-hmm. on my phone so that it prevents me from getting to those right. places. I'm going to get an accountability partner mm-hmm. that has the power to ask me, yeah. what have you been looking at? You know. So I think you just have to get creative, yeah. but it's got to start by discovering what triggers your mm-hmm. compromise. Mm. That's good. Did you have any thoughts? Um, yeah, a little bit. I think the key word was not, you didn't use the word, but be specific about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I am someone who needs to see something on paper. And so when he's saying like, you're going to declare it for me, it's, I'm going to like maybe journal about my ideas mm. or what I think I need um, or what I want to do. And I think when we, especially if we're dealing with a sin, when we get to the place of repentance, that's an actual spot where you turn around. Mm. So you do like have to put things there in order to make sure like that you do turn around and you don't turn back. Yeah. So our, is our heart there? If we're already, if we're ready to stop doing that thing because it does take a while to get to that place of repentance where you're actually going to turn around and walk the other direction. Mm. For me, it's a mind over matter thing. It's like, I'm, I'm now there with my mind. Like I have decided I'm not going to do that thing anymore. Mm. And so, like you said, drawing out how your morning could look or Mm. figuring out what time you want to get up and start being intentional about something, making it very Mm. specific. Um, But then also just reminding yourself, saying it, like Mm. whether that's in your mind or out loud, you're, you're, declaring it to yourself because that's how you take those thoughts captive. Mm -hmm. And then you, when you continuously think that, then you produce that in your actions too. And then the cycle changes Mm -hmm. because you've decided to turn around. You're turning from that and you're, Mm -hmm. you know, doing it. Mm. So this is the old, this is the new Testament ethic of, of letting your faith work. Right. So, Mm -hmm. um, there's the passage that says, you know, you say that you have faith. What I'm going to do is show you my faith by my works. Mm -hmm. So we can say, I want to live a spiritual Christ-like life. Right. Okay. Well then show me what kind of practices are you putting in place to, you know, move towards that kind of life? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm going to have to get specific. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to be specific in the way I fight sin, in the way I encourage spiritual practices. Yeah. Um, and I think this is the New Testament ethic played out in real life. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's good. I think um, a, a good place to end uh, this conversation um, is your last two take-homes. I feel like they kind of, they kind of uh, go at the same idea from a different direction, um, each of them. But when compromise wins, remember Jesus and be encouraged. And then small compromises lead to a lost future, but there is no compromise. Uh, the cross has not covered. Um, so I guess as we, as we kind of wrap up Nehemiah, uh, I find it interesting that, that your take-homes are, are that God's grace is sufficient. Mm-hmm. It's sufficient to sustain you in pursuing vision and however fumbly and messy that may be, but he's also, it's also sufficient to sustain you on the backside when there may be compromise. Do you have any like final thoughts for us about Nehemiah like that, that, that feed into that at all? I, sure, I certainly do. And I think the reason that Nehemiah ends in chapter 13 with compromise is because it gives us this pers- perspective that our life is a perpetual story of watching God work, 
making promises, compromising, correcting it, making more promises. And I think that, that at least that feels like my life. Like I'm always in this tension of, of pursuing holiness, pursuing these promises while at the same time struggling with compromise. Mm-hmm. And that's where, that's where the cross comes into play because every single time that happens, I don't have to feel guilty about my shame, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and also I, I can't be arrogant about my pride of like, man, look how spiritual I am. And so all it does is drive me towards the cross because it's only in the blood of the cross, mm-hmm. blood of Jesus that sets me free mm-hmm. and, and restores me. So mm-hmm. as much as the, as the tension is there of living the holy life and dealing with compromise, it will always point you to the cross as your solution. That's why the New Testament says, my grace is sufficient for you. Yeah. Um, and so my power is made perfect in your weakness, which if you look at your life and you're honest, you're like, okay, I'm far weaker than I want to be. But it's encouraging because it shows me that Jesus is far more powerful than I thought he was. Wow, mm-hmm. that's good. You have any final thoughts for us at all? Yeah, I think um, we're not ever gonna be perfect. So sure. we are gonna stumble. Yeah. Whether we've decided that's, I don't want to do that thing anymore. And we turn around and we go the other direction. No amount of our plans like can actually prevent us from sin 100% right in this life. But the, I think the mark of us being encouraged by when we do beat our compromise or, uh, okay, so let me put it this way. It's not so much about when we're going to stumble or fall or make that mistake or whatever it might be. It's more how quickly from that can we turn back around? Mm. How quickly from that am I going to get back up? And as we, and it's practice, like Mm. training, like it's the more that we are able to walk that out, the quicker that Mm. turnaround happens. And then the the less like, you know, it'll happen. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Good thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, thanks for hosting today. Yeah, no problem. Did a great job. Yeah. Well, thank you for watching uh, today uh, with us. We're glad that you took the time to uh, jump in with us on this conversation. Um, again, this was the last week of Nehemiah. We're, we're starting a new vision series next uh, week, and we're super excited about that. Um, but if you did miss any of the Nehemiah uh, sermons, feel free to go back on the YouTube channel. They're all listed there um, and, and jump into the conversation uh, on that week that you missed. Um, Again, we're so glad that you took the time to join us today and uh, we'll see you next week.